The reading this evening is taken from the book of Luke, Luke chapter 7, verses 1 to 10. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was ill and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Thank you, Anna. Uh, Good evening, everyone. Have you ever looked at someone and thought to yourself, you are the last person in the world that I'd expect to see there? What on earth are you doing there? I'm hoping you didn't think that when I came up to preach tonight, especially after following Billy Graham. On the 3rd of July, 2001, the mighty Arsenal Football Club announced they had signed a new player. Speculation was building about who that new player might be, but not even the journalistic football experts present at the press conference expected that the captain of Tottenham Hotspur, Arsenal's biggest rivals, would walk in the room. Sol Campbell, sat on the right there, was a hero at Arsenal's local rivals, Tottenham. And there he was, walking into the press room, an Arsenal player. The first time that I saw the film Home Alone 2, Lost in New York with some mates in the lead up to Christmas quite a few years ago now, I didn't expect that the man who makes a cameo appearance to direct a young Kevin McAllister to the hotel lobby would one day become President of the United States. In my second year of university, I finally relented to my mate's peer pressure and went along to the main nightclub in Canterbury, Club Chemistry. I'd spent most of my first year saying there was absolutely no way that I would ever enter this scary place full of loud, rubbish music and scary, confident people. 
My mates were shocked the first time that I went along to that club. They were so shocked, they even sent word out to other mates of mine who then arrived to see the evidence for themselves because they couldn't believe that I was there. It was the first, but very much not the last time, I entered that particular establishment. Well, tonight, we're going to hear about an unlikely man who modelled exactly the way that we should come to Jesus. We're going to see how God can choose unlikely candidates and fill them with exactly the sort of things that God wants to see from us. So I'm going to pray for us now as we start. Father, I pray that you would focus our hearts and our minds on what you are saying to us tonight. We pray that we would be engaging with your word and would feel refreshed after hearing from what your word is speaking to us tonight. Amen. So, at the start of Luke chapter 7, Jesus has just finished a very long block of teaching. He's delivered a sermon with words of such power and beauty that any preacher since could only dream of. Probably the greatest sermon in history. He'd drawn huge crowds to hear him speak. Sadly, not the case physically in the building tonight. I'm feeling quite envious of Jesus' big crowds. He's shaken people's worldviews. He's told them to love their enemies. He's told them to take the plank from their own eye before judging the speck in others. He's told them to change their hearts and their lives to following the Lord Jesus. And after he's dropped all those incredible truth bombs on the crowds, he draws his remarks to a close and heads into the city of Capernaum. It's a city he'd been to before. He taught and healed in this building, in this city. He'd drawn crowds that were amazed by what he was doing and what he was teaching. We see that in Luke chapter 4, verses 31 to 37. Some scholars have even described Capernaum as Jesus' adopted home. My university church in Canterbury was very blessed to welcome the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, to perform some baptisms in the church on Easter Sunday in 2016. I wasn't there. I was home for Easter. But my mates were talking about the fact that the Archbishop of Canterbury was coming to our church for ages before he came. They were talking about it ages afterwards as well. Remember the time when Justin Welby came to our church. Obviously, he's quite a popular figure with Christians in Canterbury. So imagine how much more exciting it would have been for the people of Capernaum to welcome in Jesus Christ as a citizen. Upon entering, the apostles who are with Jesus are probably expecting a crowd of excited townsfolk there to applaud them into town. But instead they get a few blokes. They get some Jewish elders sent by a Roman centurion. Now, if there's two people, the two groups of people that Jesus gets quite a lot of flack from in the Gospels, it's Jewish elders 
and Roman military officials. But in this time of huge crisis, where a loved servant of a kind master is clinging on to his life, people from both those camps are throwing themselves at the feet of Jesus Christ and begging for his help. When a crisis hits, they head to Jesus first. Do we do the same? Do we instinctively head to Jesus Christ post bad news? Do we know that Christ is the only solution to any problem that we might encounter in life? At the start of the month, when Boris Johnson announced that we were heading into a third lockdown, how many of us immediately put our concerns before God? That is our first point tonight. Come to him first. Any issue or concern or worry we may have in life, Christ first. In verse 3 of Luke chapter 7, we see that the centurion had just heard about Jesus. He sends the Jewish elders to him to ask him to heal his servant. This centurion was probably one of the crowd that saw Jesus heal the people in Capernaum when he was there before. Or maybe he had friends or employees who were part of that crowd. This centurion is clearly a man of character, a man of morals, a man of the community. We see that in verses 4 and 5. Even the Jewish elders love this guy. The Jews at the time normally absolutely despise the Romans. But here are some Jewish elders going out of their way to help a Roman centurion. We can glean from that that it's clear that he cares for and listens to his neighbours, his community and his workers, his servants. So when a servant who Matthew's Gospel tells us is in a state of paralysis lies at the centurion's feet, he's desperate for help. He's heard tell of this amazing man who can heal people, who can drive out demons, who can do the impossible. He's just heard rumours of Jesus' greatness, and yet he goes to him first in a time of crisis. He knows that only Christ can heal his dying servant. But how often do we, even as maybe people who've been Christians our entire lives, as people who know the difference that Jesus makes in our lives, how often do we go to other sources in our times of desperation? Our friends, our parents, our money, our therapists, our music, food, booze, cigarettes, gambling, porn, how often do those things become our first port of call in our time of need? When we should be following the example of this non-religious centurion who despite just hearing whispers about Jesus Christ knows that only he can help. How often is our faith that strong? 
Our first point, come to Christ first. Second point, come to Christ humbly. You may be thinking that a Roman centurion who has the ability to send Jewish elders out to help him in a time of crisis may not be the classic picture of humility. He's clearly a man of immense power and respect. Even the Jewish elders in verse 4 say to Jesus, the centurion deserves that you come to help him. Wow. These Jewish elders, these guys, are meant to be the people that are going to come to the Messiah and welcome him in. They're meant to be the guys that are going to come to him and worship him at his feet. They're meant to be the guys that bow down before the coming Messiah. But in this statement of saying that the centurion deserves Jesus to come to him, they show how little they believe Jesus really is. They value the man who built their synagogues and loves their nation of Israel in verses 4 and 5 as worthy of more honour and respect than the man who has come to bring them life and to rescue them. It's clear they have absolutely no idea who they are talking to. I think in this situation, Jesus would be well within his rights to say the classic phrase of the disrespected celebrity diva, don't you know who I am? The philosopher A.J. Eyre when he saw boxer Mike Tyson forcefully chatting up a young supermodel Naomi Campbell at a party, approached Mike Tyson and told him to back off. Mike Tyson turned to AJ Air and shouted back at him, Don't you know who I am? I'm heavyweight champion of the world. I think he used a few more expletives in his statement. AJ Air responded with this quote, And I am the former Wickham professor of logic. We are both preeminent in our fields. I suggest that we talk about this like rational men. Thankfully, Jesus is not at all like Mike Tyson. He humbly follows the Jewish elders, responding to their request. Almost in the spirit of loving his enemies, as he just preached on, he agrees to their request and heads to the centurion's house. And so he walks up to the house of a man who supposedly deserves Jesus at his beck and call. The elders have taught this guy up. We're expecting a huge, powerful, impressive guy to meet Jesus here. But before Jesus has even made it to the door, he's greeted by yet more messengers. Those with Jesus now are probably expecting those messengers to rush up to them and say things like, where have you been? Hurry up! We need you! They're expecting to be ushered into the house and taken to the sickbed of the servant like paramedics arriving at a house call. But in verse 6, the messengers repeat the exact words of their master, the centurion. Lord, Don't trouble yourself. For I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. 
That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. The Jewish elders come to Jesus with the language of entitlement and merit. The friends of the centurion, speaking his direct words, come to the Lord and use the language of humility and honour. Do we ever come before our almighty Lord to lay a request and use the word deserve? Well, maybe we don't say it. But do we think it? Oh, God. Honestly, I've been obeying you all week. Come on. I, I deserve you to do this, this one thing for me, right? Oh, Lord, I've been going so out of my way to obey your words and deny myself. Come on. Give, give me something back, yeah? Well, that's the attitude that the Jewish elders had. But a man of extreme power, who he says himself is said under authority, but who is also in extreme authority, he says, go to one soldier and he goes. Come to another and he comes. Do this to another servant and he does it. Jump to another man and he says, how high? He realises that he is totally unworthy to come to the Lord Jesus and demand anything from him. He realises that he is totally unworthy to demand anything from Jesus, even to enter his home. He is so humble, he doesn't even deem himself worthy of meeting Jesus. A man of extreme authority in the physical world is here submitting to the man with the ultimate authority in the spiritual world. A man who realises the power of his own words to command others, realises the power that his words have, that the words of Jesus Christ have, to bring healing into an impossible situation. A man with awesome power, that great and unlikely centurion, is quite rightly brought to his knees at the feet of Jesus Christ. Do we ever come to God with the language of I deserve? Or I do not deserve, but humbly I come. That's our second point tonight. Come humbly. Third point, come expectantly. All this talk of coming to Jesus with extreme humility and reverence may leave us feeling a little bit deflated and dejected. It may lead us to feeling a bit nervous and anxious to come to our Lord Jesus. It may give us that feeling of being sat outside the headmaster's office, feeling too small to walk in before someone who is so much greater than us. But thankfully, that is not the whole story. Because there's one other thing that the centurion asks his friends to ask of Jesus as his servant lays dying by his side. In his time of helplessness, where a valued employee and friend is on his deathbed, his days numbered, the centurion asks his friends to ask one thing from Jesus. Just say the word, and my servant will be healed. The centurion recognises the stature 
of the man approaching his house. He recognises who he is. But he still asks him to be at work in this situation. His humility is not one of passive weakness, but expectant strength. He's heard of the Lord's power. A power that can heal chronic illnesses with the brush of his cloak. A power that can still a storm with an outstretched hand. A power that can raise the near dead with a single word. He has faith that all that is needed in this situation is a word of healing from Jesus Christ. He knows that Jesus doesn't even need to be in the same room as his servant to speak immediate healing over a dying man. That is who Jesus Christ is. That is the Messiah who stands at the door of the centurion's house. That is the God who we worship and speak to in prayer. So when we pray, we do not fire off a list of things that we feel we deserve, but neither do we sit passively asking nothing, too nervous to speak out of petrified fear. We come knowing that the Lord delights to hear from his children and grants us blessings, as he does for the centurion in verse 10, when the messengers head back to the house and find the servant alive and well. As we sung earlier, we know that we can come to the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit, and only through the blood of Jesus Christ poured out on the cross so that the gap separating little us and almighty gods may be breached. Only by the power of Christ do we have the privilege to lay any request in our lives before an almighty God. Only Christ allows that ultimate privilege through his death on the cross so that we might be made a new, perfect creation worthy of that privilege. And he gives us that incredible gift of faith in him, so that we can worship him with all our lives, and so that God will have reason to grant us blessings. And that brings us to our final bonus point at the end. Point four. Come to him faithfully there's not many things in the world that I would love to have seen in all of history than the sight of an amazed Jesus Christ but that is the sight we are greeted with in Luke chapter 7 verse 9 some of the more experienced preachers in the church may correct me on this but I believe this is the only time in the gospel that Jesus is recorded as marvelling someone's faith this is Jesus Christ we're talking about here remember Jesus Christ who has seen the wonders of the universe in all their majesty created those wonders Jesus Christ who just a few chapters ago witnessed heaven open and the Holy Spirit descend on him in the form of a dove at his baptism Jesus Christ who in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 is described as the author and perfecter of faith. Here we see that Jesus Christ amazed at the faith from this unlikely 
centurion. Jesus has been traveling. He's been seeking faithful people. He's been gathering crowds of people who have been displaying faith in him. He's chosen very faithful apostles, more or less, to follow him in faith. He's traveled across the Jewish community, God's chosen people in the nation of Israel, seeing if his own people would welcome him in faithfully. And many did. Many showed great faith in him and followed him wherever he went. But thus far, the greatest faith that he's seen on his journeys is from a Gentile, from a non-Jew, from a militaristic Roman government official, the type of man that the Jews are expecting the coming Messiah to topple. And so Jesus looks around at the Jewish crowd around him and shames them publicly. This man, the centurion, this man is, represent, is meant to represent the enemy of God's chosen people in this time. But he has been chosen to show faith greater than any that Israel has offered. That centurion shows us today that the gospel is not just for the, not just for the Jew, but also for the Gentile. That anyone, no matter how unlikely, can come to Jesus Christ and display incredible faith in him. Through God's power, that unlikely centurion becomes a prime example to every Christian since of the faith that a follower of Jesus Christ should show in their lives. It's a faith that seeks Jesus first. It's a faith that comes to him with humble expectancy. It's a faith that sees Jesus for who he really is. The only one who can really help us in any situation. And that faith is rewarded through the granting of the centurion's request and the healing of his servant in verse 10 without Christ even saying a word. As the great Billy Graham, who we heard from earlier, once said, God will not reward fruitfulness. He will reward faithfulness. So how are we doing? How are we doing in our faith? Do we turn to other sources for help in a time of need? Or do we come to the feet of Jesus Christ first? Do we come to Christ claiming that we deserve his time and his attention? Or do we realise that we're not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs from under his table? Do we come to Christ unsure if he'll actually listen to us? or make a difference in our lives? Or do we come knowing the greatness of his power and his desire to be at work in our lives as faithful Christians? Do we come to God vaguely hoping that he may help us in our time of need? 
or do we have the solid, incredible faith of the centurion? Let's pray. Father, we pray this week that you would be helping us to strengthen our faith, to live our lives for you in all we do, to come to you the way that that centurion came to you, as our Lord and Saviour. May our faith in you be that strong, in you our almighty God. Amen.